Thank you for listening to another Sunday morning message from City Church in downtown Iowa City. Um, If you're here for the first time this morning, we're glad that you joined us. And our hope and our prayer is just always that you feel encouraged when you come in. This is a group of people who are exploring the way of Jesus um, or are following Jesus. And um, we're about being a family here. So we're glad that you're here. And um, I am going to jump into our scripture passage today. This is the first Sunday of Lent, in case you guys didn't know about that or in case you weren't here last Sunday. Um, And before I say a little bit more about that, I want to read our scripture passage for today just to frame um, the rest of our thoughts before we jump back into it. So this comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And I will read it to the best of my ability. All right. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, I'm going to get back to this, but as I mentioned before, it's the first Sunday of Lent. Some of you guys might be unfamiliar with Lent if you didn't grow up practicing that, but just briefly, it's a season on the traditional church calendar that leads up to Easter, and during the season of Lent, Christians have traditionally practiced some kind of fasting or some kind of self-denial in order to focus their hearts more on God, and and that's so that they can kind of... um, more fully experience the significance and celebration of Easter Sunday. Experience that resurrection life of Jesus. And the idea is if that if Christians could impose a little symbolic death or a little symbolic self-denial, um, it's a way of participating in the death of Christ and experiencing what Christ went through, um, knowing that the work that God does in us to transform us is actually symbolic of the resurrection life of Christ as well, working in our lives. So Lent began this past Wednesday. Did anybody have see anybody with ashes on their heads? Ash Wednesday. I actually didn't see anyone, so I'm glad you guys saw some. Um, it's considered a 40-day period, um, not counting Sundays, and it's modeled on Jesus's time in the wilderness, this passage that we just read this morning. Now, the wilderness is a core biblical metaphor for modern readers. And for us who are living in industrialized nations, who um, we probably will never find ourselves in a literal desolate place 
where we are stranded or where we are left without creature comforts or, or basic necessities. So for us, we really read the wilderness as a metaphor. Um, there, we do have neighbors around the world at the border of the United States in Mexico, at the border of Turkey in Syria, where they really are experiencing literal wilderness. And so this becomes more than a metaphor, doesn't it, for, for, for brothers and sisters and neighbors around the world who are experiencing this. But for us, um, because we probably won't have that situation if we're sitting in this room, we can think of the wilderness as a time of suffering, right? We could think of the wilderness as a time of not understanding why circumstances in our life are playing out in the way that they are. Um, we can think of the wilderness as a time of waiting for God to answer prayers that he just doesn't seem to be answering, and we've prayed for a really long time. Um, uh, asking him for circumstances to change, and they're just not changing. And while we can see from the Gospels that Jesus spent time in the wilderness because God led him there and also because circumstances forced him there, uh, there were times when Jesus just chose to go to the wilderness because he knew it was a place where God would refresh him and restore him and where he could find that God was sufficient for him in the midst of his felt needs, in the midst of his circumstances, um, because God was all he had out in the wilderness. And that's how and why he could experience that God was sufficient, because that's all there was, was God. And I think participation in Lent is a little bit like going to the wilderness voluntarily, right? Like an optional wilderness for believers who, like Jesus, know what is good for them. You know, people who understand that self-denial and seeking God in a season of self-denial can actually yield a very joyful experience, of transformation, where we find out that God is sufficient for us too. He's enough for us in all the places where we've maybe worried or fretted or doubted that he really is enough for us. Unfortunately, however, it seems from this passage and maybe from our own life experiences that temptation is something that God allows in our wilderness experiences. He allowed it in Jesus's experience um, as a tool for Jesus's transformation and strengthening. Now, Jesus isn't tempted every time he goes into a desolate place in the Bible, but he certainly is, and it's an experience God allows him to have in these 40 days of prayer and fasting before he began his public ministry. How many of you guys know that as soon as you enter into a zone of self-denial or increased self-discipline, the first thing you are faced with is temptation? Anybody know this? As soon as I even say, I'm not eating chocolate tomorrow, I want to eat chocolate, right? As soon as we say, I'm getting up an hour early so I can go work out or so I can pray, and that alarm clock goes off the first day, we do not want to get up. We are so tempted to skip our workout or skip that time that we were going to spend um, reading our Bibles or praying. As soon as you know, uh, that happens. We are confronted with temptation. And the Holy Spirit confronts us sometimes about things that we need to change in our lives or ways we need to be disciplined. And we find ourselves tempted by those things as well. Um, and it's the same in the story for Jesus in the wilderness. God leads him out here where he was going to experience isolation. He was going to experience lack, no food. And it's in this place of loneliness and desolation and feeling vulnerable to temptation where Jesus is tempted relentlessly. And the nature of Jesus's temptations, I think, like our own, tell us a little bit about his vulnerabilities, right? Um, 
So I want us to enter back into this story and, and see how Jesus responds to temptation that he's faced. I think these temptations are translatable to us depending on how we read them, whether we're in Lent or whether we're in any season that feels like a wilderness or feels like we're just even practicing faithfulness to God. These temptations can exist in our lives. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. Um, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Big surprise, right? Um, He was experiencing a very normal response to fasting. When we haven't eaten, we get hungry. When we experience a lack in other ways in our lives, we crave satisfaction, right? We want to be satisfied. But the wilderness for us doesn't always mean we're fasting from food. And it could be one of those wildernesses we don't choose. Like maybe we lose something in life um, or something's been stripped away, like a relationship or a job or, you know, a title that sort of helped us feel like we had identity and purpose in the world or possessions. In any of these situations, we find ourselves feeling unsatisfied, right? Feeling hungry like Jesus to fill that empty space where we feel unsatisfied. And in order for this this story to really bear its fullest significance for us, we also have to recognize who is the tool of this temptation. And the gospel writer says it's the devil. And um, it's important that we not dismiss that there are spiritual realities at play in the world. If you are sitting in this room and you believe that God exists, which I would bet is not too much of a stretch for most people in this room, then you might believe that angels exist as well. And if you believe in a spiritual world of goodness and righteousness, I don't think it's that much harder to stretch and think there are spiritual entities and forces that are not so holy, that are not so good. And here it is, the gospel writer is talking about the head honcho of of evil spiritual forces. Um, Some translations call him Satan. Some translations call him the devil. In a minute, he's going to be called the tempter because... It's like his job description. It's what he does. He sets traps for Jesus. He sets traps for us. And um, we read in verse 3, The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So the enemy clearly sees Jesus as hunger, right? And I believe that the enemy of our souls sees our hungers as well our spiritual and our soul hungers, and is constantly inviting us to satisfy them with the wrong things or the right things at the wrong time or too much of the right thing. There's really nothing inherently wrong with eating bread that you miraculously made out in the wilderness. And we know that Jesus does this later on in his ministry, but God has a purpose for him during this time, and Jesus knows it. Um, And he knows it's to deny himself and to seek God instead. But, you know, self-denial when we are hungry is really hard to relate to as a culture. We don't really celebrate that a ton. Unless you're, like, really, really intensely into, like, bodybuilding or workout culture or something like that, self-denial, I think, really goes against our cultural DNA where we are, like, constantly celebrating and encouraging indulgence. We really are. Just turn on the TV and watch a commercial, you know? Um, But there are times when what is good for our souls and our spirits is actually what we do with our bodies. What's good for our soul and our spirits um, is sometimes refraining from something with our body. And it's weird to think about this, that 
um, like sometimes what's best for our souls and our spirits is not to take our body shopping or to take our body drinking or to take our, you know, our mind to Instagram or video games or spending too much or consuming too much. And I believe that this tempter knows how hard it is for us to deny ourselves those things that we crave. Um, and so he, he tries to convince Jesus that Jesus needs something right then that is not of ultimate importance. Yeah, does Jesus eventually need some bread? Probably. You know, that's not a bad thing. But right then, he's trying to convince him that he needs something that's not ultimately important in that moment. Come on, you can make bread. You know how to. Like, you know you want to. But here's Jesus' response to the temptation in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You know, he's able to recognize and articulate this truth that actually what God wants to say to him right then in the wilderness is more important than his physical comfort. It's more important than what his body is crying out for. And I had to remind myself this week when I was fasting from chocolate one day, and I was like, I do not live by endangered species chocolate bars alone, but by (laughs) every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was a helpful mantra. Um, And Jesus knows that God created all of us as triune beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. And for whatever reason, I don't understand it, for whatever reason God created us this way, it is just true that denying our our bodies or our like fleshly desires or our mind, something can actually impact our spirits and our souls in a positive way. And in this case, I think uh, denial of his bodily desires right then in this season of fasting in the wilderness is going to help Jesus actually hear the words that God wants to speak to him at that time. And the same is true for us. You know, when I'm not satisfying mental or bodily cravings, I'm actually, there's something else in me that goes, but I want to be satisfied. And I start looking and I start looking to God and I start, um, I start being silent and, and allowing myself to sit with that emptiness so I can wait for God to say something or, or fill me. And the reality is like what I want more than endangered species chocolate bar is I want to hear from God. Like I want to encounter the God of the universe, and I, I want to see miracles and people get healed, and I want to see um, you know, the poor around the world experience the kingdom of God and justice, and I want to be a conduit to, to allowing his spirit to flow through me so that there's more life in the world, and there's, there's more healing in the world, and there's more justice in the world, and I want to be able in all that to recognize his voice so it's not all muddled and confused with all the noise around me or all the other things that are going on. So this is how Jesus answers, I don't need that right now. You know, I don't just live by that. And then the devil moves on to temptation number two. In verses 5 and 6, Then the devil took him up to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, you know, he's quoting the Bible to Jesus here, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Um, It's interesting, like, he sounds so taunting to me in my mind. Like, here's the tempter. Um... Jesus has just told him how important the words of God are to Jesus. And now he's using scripture back at him and quoting the Hebrew Bible to him. And his whole point is, let's see if you can really trust the word of God. 
Can you really? Here's a Bible verse I lifted and proof texted from the Old Testament. I've taken it out of context. And now I'm applying it to the most foolhardy scenario I can think of, designed to kill you. Um, and I think that Jesus sees through this. Um, The gospel writer says that the devil took him to the highest pinnacle of the temple, which would have been in Jerusalem. And it's unclear. Is this a vision that he's giving him? Does the devil have supernatural power to take him somewhere? But either way, scholars have been trying to figure out exactly how high is the pinnacle of the temple. And nobody really knows for sure. But one estimate is 450 feet. Okay, so it was high. It was high up in the air. And look, if I argued to you guys and I said, There's a psalm that King David wrote about how God protected him and his warrior and shepherding days. Therefore, you should test out God's protection over you by jumping off the old Capitol building. You guys would think it's ludicrous. Like It would be ridiculous. It wouldn't even be tempting. But I I think Jesus knows on the surface it's ridiculous as well. But I think the real issue behind the temptation, it's more of a taunt. I think, um, I think it's not whether it's stupid to jump or not, or whether God will protect him or not, but whether God is really faithful to his promises, whether God's word can really be trusted. And this temptation really is about getting to Jesus, I think, to doubt God's faithfulness and doubt God's word by throwing at him a Bible verse taken out of context, okay, from a worship song, okay? And um, certainly when we are in the wilderness, though, there are times when we wonder if God really is as faithful as we once thought. Oftentimes, when I'm not in the wilderness, I'm like, man, I'm flying. Like, I totally trust in God. Everything's been provided for. I don't have any reason to ask questions or worry. But when we go through seasons where we're not totally comforted or totally satisfied or sure of how our needs are going to get met, it actually reveals to us how strong or weak our faith and our trust really is. So I think this temptation gets to the core of Jesus' ability to trust God and and when he's feeling weak and when he's feeling hungry and alone. And Jesus responds in verse 7, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I like to think Jesus is being a little cheeky here. Like, don't quote scripture at me. I'm a way better theologian than you are, you know? And I don't have time to go into the full context of the story Jesus quotes that from, but it comes from this Old Testament story where the Israelites are like mad in the desert because there's not water at their new camp, and they're like yelling at Moses, and they're like, is God with us or not? And they're basically just trying to like prove that because there's not water right then, God's not with them. And Jesus is like, God should never be put to the test in that way. We should never be devising entrapment to prove that he's not faithful, which is ironically what the devil is doing right here to the Son of God. So Jesus just kind of like blows up temptation number two, um, calling it what it is, saying, you're trying to entrap God just so you can say he's not faithful. I'm not going to go there. And I think we have to be careful with this temptation in our own lives as well, because it is really easy for me. Maybe you're like this, I can start fretting over needs that I have five months down the road or two months down the road. And because I don't see how it's going to get solved, I don't know what the answer is already, I can start to like accuse God ahead of time for not providing for it. Does anybody else do this? Like you get worried and then you don't see the answer. And so then like God's a bad guy because he hasn't shown the answer yet. 
And um, we really have to be careful we don't listen to the voice of the tempter who is always making a case against God to us. I really think he is. He's always making a case against him. Is he really faithful? Does he really hear you? Does he really forgive your sins? And it's important that we recognize where that comes from. And yes, we have to be honest and ask honest, hard questions like Job did about why bad things happen in the world and why bad things happen to good people. And, but the difference is becoming offended with God and becoming like God's judge and jury as if we were God. And the tempter knows that if he can get Jesus to judge God, that he will cut off Jesus's relationship and connection from him. And he'll do the same for us. Like if we can judge God and be like, yep, I'm offended with you, it really hinders our ability to hear him and partner with him. And then finally, we get to temptation number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. All the cards are on the table now, right? It's like really clear what this devil wants. He's the one, he wants to be the one worshiped, right? I want the glory that you're going to get Jesus. So um, we get, again, we don't know, did he take Jesus by vision? Is this, you know, literal? I'm assuming it was a vision so we could just get Jesus to see all the kingdoms of the world that he was going to be missing, um, that the devil claimed he could give him. Now, at this time, when this is happening, Jesus is aware of his ministry calling. He knows that he was going to die, and he's going to die an excruciating death, that he's be a suffering servant, but that afterward he would rise victorious from the grave, and that God was giving him a kingdom and was giving him authority over all things. But he wasn't going to rule, and he wasn't going to govern the way the devil was going to do it. He wasn't going to rule and govern the way human beings did it through violence and control. And he knew that his path to his inheritance was actually through the cross. It was to suffer. And here the devil is offering him a shortcut, right? It's a shortcut that means compromise. It means compromising by being unfaithful to his father. And, and it means breaking one of the Ten Commandments because you're not supposed to have any other God but God. And Jesus at this point, I think he's just over it. He sees it for what, he, what it is. And he says in verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil obviously wants power here, but he's also appealing to Jesus' very real need and desire not to suffer and not to go through the cross. And I think that oftentimes when we are faced with temptations, um, there are temptations to take shortcuts that don't honor God because we don't want to experience suffering. We don't want to experience what it feels like to wait or to lack control over our circumstances or our sense of value in the world. But all compromises and all shortcuts that go away against the way of the kingdom really just tell us that we're not allowing God to be God in our lives. It really just tells us, we're not allowing his lordship in our lives to order our lives. And we're gaming the system, really, to get what we want. And, you know, listen, I've done this. I've, I've gone into debt for things I shouldn't have gone into debt for so that I could feel more okay about my place in the world instead of 
trusting that God would provide what I needed and a lot of things I wanted too. Um, People have one-night stands that aren't good for their souls and their bodies because they are craving the kind of intimacy that comes with commitment and with covenant. Um, we want to make money, right? And we buy stuff that we think is, is going to make our lives better, but we maybe, in order to achieve what we want to achieve, to get the power and influence and money that we want, we can find ourselves tempted to take shortcuts in our workplaces, making some unethical choices or We can work so hard to get all that stuff that then we start to resist rest. And we really resist reckoning with that kingdom principle of a Sabbath and um, the restoration God wants to do in us. Um, We want to be leaders, maybe. Some of us maybe have leadership giftings and we want to have influence and um, be in charge. But we can forget that in the kingdom of God, The leaders who have power and influence are the ones who are at the bottom, serving everybody, as Jesus said, the people who humble themselves, and they do this slow work of love and service and faithfulness, and there aren't any shortcuts to the top in the kingdom. And and that's what I think this temptation is all about. It's about a shortcut. It's about compromise to get to the same end, but in a way that doesn't glorify God and doesn't resolve in the Um, in the blessing of doing it God's way. And after we see the devil leave Jesus, we see God's angels come and they minister to him. And it's such a beautiful picture of how God encourages our hearts when we have continued to choose him and we've continued to stand our ground against satisfying ourselves at times when we need to wait to hear his voice or, you know, We need to not take shortcuts when the right way is longer and it feels like more work. Or when we refuse to agree with the accuser against God, um, here God shows up with this blessing of his manifest presence in the wilderness with Jesus. And I believe he does that for all of us if we wait long enough. And um, if you are fasting for Lent this year or you just simply feel like you're in a wilderness that isn't of your own making, I just want to encourage you to hold your ground. Don't settle for satisfying your souls with something shallow or material when what you really want is for your spirit to be satisfied with God's presence or his word. Don't allow yourself to entertain offenses toward God and become his judge and jury and make yourself that um, because that is going to hurt you. It's going to cut you off, actually, from what you most need. And I want to encourage you, hold your ground, too, against shortcuts that compromise him being Lord over your life. Keep him as Lord of your life and how you handle your money and how you handle your body and how you handle your relationships and how you talk about other people and how you serve people in need. And I really believe we'll experience spiritual blessings and reward of growing stronger in our understanding and our knowledge of God's faithfulness to us as we wait and as we watch. I think that as we stay steadfast, we really will see his his kingdom in our midst. We really will see um, his goodness in our midst. And that process strengthens us so that we become like people who aren't tossed around with every wave, with every hard thing. Um, You start to you grow and you get stronger. And so um, your faith grows too. So I want to pray for us before we move into communion. Father, I thank you for your presence here and I thank you for the model that Jesus gave to us. And 
I want to ask, Lord, that you uh, would make us extremely aware and just really, really discerning about the ways in which we are tempted in our own wildernesses. Lord, when we are hungry and we are tempted, help us to be discerning about what the temptation is. Lord, whether it's, you know, a temptation not to trust you and take matters into our own hands or uh, a temptation to satisfy our souls with something that maybe isn't even bad, but it's really not the thing that we need right then. Help us to be discerning, Lord. Give us patience as we wait for you, as we wait for you to comfort us, as we wait for you to provide, as we wait for you to bring blessing that we're desiring. Lord, give us joy in this process as we wait. Strengthen our faith. I pray for each one in this room, Lord, that um, you would continue to build a solid core in each one of us, um, a core of faith that can just weather the waves and can weather the storms of life and just know you are faithful, you are unchanging, you are the same today as you were yesterday and will be tomorrow. We ask that in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.